You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, that's where we'll find the Ten Commandments. They're also found over in Deuteronomy, but for the sake of this series, we'll be spending most of our time in Exodus 20. When you think of the Ten Commandments, what do you think of? Uh, many people have this image uh, when they think of the Ten Commandments. Um, this image, when, there it is, when they think of the Ten Commandments. It's a picture of uh, Charlton Heston uh, from the movie, The Ten Commandments. It was made in 1956. When it was made, it was the most expensive movie uh, that had ever been made up until that point. Um, it was a, a movie that was uh, picturing what was going on with the people of God coming um, out of the land and his deliverance and, uh, and then the giving of um, the Ten Commandments. It... Um, was filmed in Egypt and in Sinai and in the Sinai Peninsula to make it as authentic as they could. But the reality is that's not the Ten Commandments. Um, the Ten Commandments was God's law given to us and uh, we want to take a look at it over these next 10 weeks and consider uh, what God has to say to us uh, from his word. Uh, some might ask the question, so why are we looking in the Old Testament at the Ten Commandments? Like, isn't that Old Testament stuff? Aren't we uh, past that? Aren't we into the New Testament stuff? Well, let me make this statement. Um, the Ten Commandments are amazing truth laid down in the Old Testament and confirmed in the New Testament. Uh, therefore, they are applicable, all of them, uh, for us today. And, uh, and so what will that mean? And what will it look like? And over the next uh, 10 messages that I preach through the summer series, uh, we'll take a look at this theme, the Ten Commandments. This uh, message this week is God on the throne. Uh, they're not 10 suggestions. It's not like, you know, here's some things I think maybe you might want to consider in your life. Um, you know, there'll be helpful little tools for you along the way. Uh, they're not 10 suggestions. They're not 10 requests. There's not, please, please, would you help me with that? Interesting, when I go to a park and it says, please stay off the grass, I kind of think I'm still allowed to go on the grass. They just said, please stay off. If they didn't want me to go off the on the grass, they would have said, stay off the grass. And, uh, and so the Ten Commandments are not like that. It's not some kind of a request. It's not some kind of a suggestion, but rather it says, thou shalt or thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And it's clear and, and the words are heavy and uh, we need to let the weight of them uh, press down on us and think about them as uh, we consider the truth that we will take a look at uh, from this text. So you got your Bibles open now. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start at verse 1. Uh, follow along as I read. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless who take his name 
in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the seas and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that, your Lord, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbors. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you again that uh, we can hold in our hands your word, the very words of truth, the word that uh, brings us life and brings us light. And we pray, God, that you would reveal to us uh, from your word, from Exodus 20, so many things that will help us in our walk to stay with eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Fathers, we look at the Ten Commandments. We pray that they would not be something that we, we think of. That's old school. That's not for us, Lord. They are relevant. They are real today. And they are truth that we need to consider and explore and take into our heart and live out for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Father, we pray that you give us ears to hear your word and minds that we might understand it. But then, God, we would walk out from here passionate to live out for your glory. Uh, do this work in us for your fame, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. You can take your seats. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were taking a look at the Lord's Prayer when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And, uh, and he said, when you pray, you pray like this. It wasn't what they were supposed to pray every time. It was pray like this. And in that prayer, we saw that the first part of it was very much vertical. It was very much looking to God, praying to him, the things that we need directly from him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of that is vertical. All of that was a focus towards God. And then the rest of that prayer, as you consider it, are things that we need. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. And all of those things are more of the horizontal and what we need in our lives and how we move forward in our walk with, with God. The Ten Commandments are like that as well. As you take a look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are very much vertical. They're very much focused towards God and who he is and what he has done for us and, and our relationship with him. And then the remaining six are about how we do life together and how we live on this earth. And uh, so that's a bit of an outline for the Ten Commandments and what they look like. But 
In the New Testament, there's a passage that kind of gives those two thrusts, the relationship with God and then the relationship with others. We find it in Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the vertical part. This is the great and first command. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends all the law and the prophets. If we don't get the vertical part right, if we don't get the focus to God right, we will never get the rest of it right. As a matter of fact, I would summarize it this way. If you get this law, the one we're going to look at today, if you get it right, you'll get all of the rest of them right. But if you get it wrong, you will struggle with all of the rest of them. And so what was the law? What, what was the Ten Commandments? Like, what did it do? What did it do for them? And what can it accomplish for us? Here's some things that I wrote down this week. Uh, the Ten Commandments, they reveal much about God. They reveal much about his character. They reveal much about his love for us. Another thing I wrote down, they reveal much about me. The Ten Commandments reveals a lot about me. It's like who's on the throne. It reveals much about me. As we get down to the things that the Ten Commandments are requiring us to do, it reveals the, the nature of my heart and what I really care about and what's really a priority for me. It reveals much about God. It reveals much about me. The Ten Commandments are for God's glory. Um, they're to get us focused in the right place. Here's another thing I wrote down. They become the rule to live by. They're not 10 suggestions. They're not 10 requests. They're 10 laws, and we need to live by them. But here's one. The 10 commandments, they're for my good. The 10 commandments are for my good. And so as you heard me reading the 10 commandments, and you were considering them, and you were feeling like they are a weight or a burden or a Hey, they're there for your good. They're there to protect us. They're there to help us. And I would suggest to you, if you're finding the Ten Commandments is a burden, it's because the first one we're going to see today, you don't have it in the right place. You're not focused in the right direction. The Ten Commandments were written for our good. And then really practical, they're foundational to society and community stability. You take a look at what's happening in our world and it all falling apart and the shredding of society and comes because we're falling away from these things, these laws, these 10 commandments. And if we get our eyes fixed on them and what God desires to do through them, it would not only change our hearts, it would change our world. And uh, so that's a little bit of background. We want to dive in for today just into verses 1 to 3. And the point is, look what I have done. It's really as we consider God and who he is, we, we have to understand the, look what I have done. Look what it says in verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. I am. I am. 
I am the Lord your God, the covenant-keeping God, Jehovah. We could do a whole series on that through the Bible. As a matter of fact, uh, this fall, uh, we're going to be taking a look at the I am's of Jesus Christ uh, from the book of John. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the, um, the good shepherd. I am the, we're going to take a look at a bunch of them, I am. But speaking about God, it's about him being Jehovah, about him being in control. And, and he starts out by saying, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He has a right to tell us what to do. He has a right. And we have an obligation because of who he is to obey him. I am the Lord. He goes on, he says, I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. Every day it's like, pinch me. Pinch me that God desires that we have a relationship with him. God in heaven, I deserve nothing. And he desires to have a relationship with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh God, you are my God, we saw last week. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. And here he's, I am the Lord, your God. Your God. You may not realize it. You may not understand it. But the truth of the statement is true, whether you realize it or understand it or not. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation, God says to you, I am your God. Uh, we are his children, uh, uh, 1 John chapter 3. Um, and in, in uh, Ephesians 1 verse 5, we've been adopted as children of God. I am the Lord, your God. They understood this in the sense of the covenant that God had made with his people that he was their God. And they needed to take hold of it and they needed to respond to it accordingly and they needed to understand it and come under it and love it and go for it more and more in their lives every day as he said, I am the Lord, your God. And then he says these words. Here's what God did. Look what I have done. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You're like, oh, why is that such a big deal? Well, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but it was a huge deal for them when they considered where they had been not many weeks, months, years earlier in slavery in Egypt. There was nothing they could do about it. They couldn't change their plight. Uh, they were stuck and they had nowhere to go. And in God's word says, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. It's a picture that he brought you out of the place that you were, the place that you were that you could not change. You could not fix it. You could not do, about, do anything about it. I brought you out of the place. But not only that, I brought you out of the condition you were in. You were slaves. You were slaves. You were making bricks and they were making you make more bricks and giving you less straw and less material and it was becoming harder and harder and harder. And God says, I brought you out of that. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. And when we come to the first commandment, it was so important that they understood what God had done for them. Hey, 
It's important that we understand what God has done for us. It's important that we remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. We were in a land, as it were, and we couldn't do anything about it. We were slaves, and we couldn't do anything about it. And God, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, in his coming, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, sitting on the right hand of God, making intercession for me right now, God brought me from the place I was in and the condition I was in into a new place in a relationship with him because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. When you get to the first commandment, you have to understand who God is and what he's done for us. And every follower of Jesus Christ in the room today needs to be pretty excited about the fact that the Lord did that for us. And that's the position. I'm not in that place anymore. I'm not in that condition anymore because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done for us. And if you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in a place that you can't fix the problem. And you're in a condition that you can't change the Bible tells us that uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nothing we can do to fix that. The wages of sin, death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and was the right and righteous and only true payment so that I could have eternal life, so that my place could be changed, so that my condition could be changed, and I could be a child of God in Jesus Christ. And you can't earn it and you don't deserve it. The people of God didn't deserve to be delivered. They didn't deserve to be moved out of slavery, but God did what he did because he loved them, and God does for us what he does for us because he loves us. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You'll have the new life. In Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, for grace, by grace you have been saved. God's grace. God's gift. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I just have to receive it. I just have to receive it. I come to that place and I understand, oh my goodness, I've been trying so hard. I've been trying. I cannot do that. God's standard is no sin. And I can't do that. But the Lord Jesus Christ came and was the propitiation, the right and only righteous payment for our sin. And all I have to do is accept the fact that I'm a sinner separated from God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from my sin. Confess with my mouth and I will be saved. You can do that right where you sit today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be, you will be saved. God says to them, first of all, look what I have done. Look what I've done for you. I brought you out of the place. I brought you out of the condition you were in. And that's what he's done for every one of us. Well, then he goes on and we hit the actual first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The, the point here is it's all about me. 
It's all about me. Now, I use those words on purpose because in our lives, in our society, that's the words we, we like to think or that's what we see all around us. People who are saying, it's all about me, it's all about me. Uh, they might not really come out and say it out loud, but the way we live, even so often in our lives as we wrestle, we come out, it's all about me, it's all about me. Yeah, here's the problem with that point is you got the wrong me in there. It's not about you at all. It's all about God. The all about me is all about him. And look what it says. You shall have no other gods before me. It's all about me. See, if you get this part right, if we keep this commandment, the rest of them will fall into place. But when we lose sight of this commandment, when we lose sight of this focus, then the rest of it becomes a burden for us. It becomes a heavy weight for us. It becomes too much for us. It's almost like, I don't even want this. And so this commandment is basic and foundational, and we can't miss it. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, so here's not what that word means. This is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, okay, so I got big God on the throne, and then I can have all the other gods before me. So you can have this one, and then all these others. It doesn't mean that. And the word is much stronger than that. Whenever you're trying to translate from another uh, a language, you can't always say it in a word. And you could just as easily have put the word besides me in there. There'll be no other God beside me. No other God before me. No other God beside me. No other gods. No other gods. God on the throne. God on the throne. Um, as Moses is writing what God has told him, he's talking about monotheism, one God, and a faithfulness to that God. No other gods besides Yahweh. I read this quote this week. It went like this. Yahweh had opened himself to a special relationship with Israel, but that relationship could develop only if Israel committed themselves to Yahweh alone. Yahweh had rescued them and freed them and delivered them and guided them and then he'd come to them. The next step, if there was to be a next step, belonged to them. If they were to remain in his presence, they were not to have other gods. If you look down in verse 5 of Exodus uh, chapter 20, it says that you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. I am a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before me. And God is a jealous God. In Exodus 34, 14, for you shall worship no other gods. For the Lord whose name is jealous, it's one of the names of God, the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Now that's what the text says. When we think about jealousy in our world, a jealousy always has a negative connotation. It always does. You know, but you're jealous about that. You're jealous for that. You're jealous. We say it all the time. And it's like, it's always negative. It's not a negative thing when it comes to God because everything truly is his. Everything belongs to him. And we're at best stewards of what God has given to us and and God is the only one who has the right to be jealous. And one of the greatest things that God is jealous for is for his glory. God is jealous for his glory. God on the throne. 
That's where he needs to be. That's where he expects to be. And the question is, do we put him there? God on the throne. Why? Because God says, it's all about me. It's all about me. I was thinking about how did they understand that? What, what did that mean to them when, when God says, you shall have no other gods before me? Um, I picked seven. Uh, what I'll call attributes of God or characteristics of God. I, you could have picked 30, 40, could have gone down a whole list. And, but I knew that you wanted to go home for lunch today at some point, so I didn't do that. I, I picked seven. Well, why seven? What's well, the perfect number? So that's why I picked it. So that's as deep as it goes. I could have picked eight. I could have picked 10. I could have picked four. I picked seven. It's called pastor's prerogative. And uh, so that's what I did. I just want to walk through them really quickly for you today. But as they were thinking about, you shall have no other gods before me. What were some of the things that would have been going through their mind? Here's the first one I wrote down. God is holy. God is holy. God transcends us beyond what we can imagine. We study him. We worship him. We try to get to know him better. And at best, we can scratch the surface because God is holy. He is holy, separate from us. And yet, he has a relationship with us. And he desires that we have a relationship with him. But in that tension, he is a holy God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. Let your words be few. Um, they understood about God's holiness. Uh, they had seen it. They had heard the stories. They, they had understood even um, in Exodus 3 and verse 5 when Moses is being called out to uh, take on the responsibility and he has his excuses and he's going through this whole journey with God as uh, he is meeting him and says this in Exodus 3, 5. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy the ground. When we come into the place of God, when we come into his presence, we come into a place of holiness. God is holy. Later on, the writer of Isaiah, he understood it. In the year that King Uzziah died, said in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And what did he do? And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. When you think about God, do you think about his holiness? Do you think about how awesome what he has done for you in your salvation? And do you look at him and when you see him, do you fall flat on your face before him going, holy, holy, holy. I'm a man of unclean lips. And do we cry out to him in confession? And do we get right with him? Do we strive to be like him? Because God is holy. Here's another one that they understood. God was the creator. He was a creating God. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens 
and the earth. Uh, they understood that they weren't just some glob of goo that kind of climbed up onto the shore at some point back in history and morphed into what you are today. That's not a truth. That's a lie. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made, God's word says. Not some chance that just happened. God made you. They believed it happened in six days. Uh, we believe it happened in six days in this church. It's what uh, we stand for. We believe that that's true. We believe God's word is true from cover to cover. And you don't start believing it somewhere around Genesis 4. We believe it at Genesis 1-1 that God created the heavens and the earth. And, and you go, well, you know, well, what about that whole six-day thing? Well, what did they believe? What did they see? They were much closer to it and understood a little bit more of it. And, and so if you take a look, and uh, I love the fact that the Ten Commandments really handles this well for us in uh, verse 8, which we will come to. But remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor. Then go down to verse 11. For in six days, same kind of days, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he, he made it holy. When they thought of who God is, they remembered that he was the creator, that they were fearfully and wonderfully made. And the next breath that I have comes because God allows me to, to have it. They believed in a creator. Here's another one. They believed that God was a judge. They understood that God was a judge. And because of sin, uh, there would be judgment in the world. And they, the, just the things that they knew about, we know so many more things than they did, but some of the things that they knew about, they understood about the fall. They understood about Adam and Eve in the garden. They understood about uh, their wanting to be God. And they understood what happened there and God's judgment on them and being put out of the garden and, and their death and separation from God. Uh, they understood about that. Uh, they understood about the judgment at the time of the ark when a uh, man was doing what he wanted and we're becoming more and more progressively evil and, and God says enough and he takes, he takes Noah along with his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth and, and their spouses and they build an ark and God judges and they are saved and the rest of the earth is wiped out because God judges. He's a judge for his righteousness and he is a jealous God. They would have remembered the story of the tower after um, the flood and the people tried to build this tower to God. Uh, we want to get to God. We want to get it. I don't know if there's a Bible verse for this. If there is, somebody send it to me. But one person said, why a tower? Why a tower? Because they remembered the flood. They remembered the flood. We'll, we'll get to God. We'll be protected. There'll never be a flood that gets us again. But here's the problem. They wanted wasn't, what wasn't, wasn't theirs to have. And so God took them and confused their languages and spread them out. And as a result, we have the nations. And they would have all remembered the Egyptian captivity and what they had gone through and God's judgment on them and then God's judgment on the Egyptians. They understood that God was a judge. And we need to understand it as well. In the New Testament, it says, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is a judgment that is coming. There's a judgment that's coming for believers in what we've done, but there's a judgment that's coming with what we did with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, every knee will bow. 
Every tongue will confess and every follower of Jesus Christ will bow the knee and rejoice in the relationship they have with Jesus Christ. And those who have never trusted Christ will bow the knee and they will admit that Jesus Christ is Lord and be separated from him for eternity in a place that is called hell because God is a judge. He is a judge. But God is also all powerful. He's all powerful. They knew about the flood and how God did that. They, they knew about Moses and the signs and wonders in Egypt as they'd gone through the, all of the plagues. They, they'd seen the power of God in the Red Sea. They knew that God was all powerful. You shall have no other gods before me because I am holy. I am the creator. I am the judge. I am all powerful. You, should have, you shall have no other gods before me because I am the sustainer. I am the sustainer. So they're in the wilderness now and every morning they open the flaps on their tents and they look out and they see the provision of the food and they say, what is it? The word manna literally means, what is it? And every day, every day, and it was the same thing, but God provided everything they needed every day and it was called, what is it? I remember as a kid, Sometimes coming to the dinner table and my mother would have come up with some new creation and, uh, and we would look at it and say, what is it? And she would say, eat it if you want to make it till tomorrow morning. No, she didn't go that far. But, uh, and and it, God provided for them. He was the one who brought everything they needed to uh, sustain them. He also led them with the pillar and with the cloud because he was going to go before them. He wasn't going to leave them nor forsake them because you shall have no other gods before me because I'll take care of your needs. You don't need anything else. I'll bring everything that you need. God is a sustainer. They also understood about God's redemption. Not like we understand it. They didn't understand what Jesus would come and do. They knew that something was going to come. They knew through sacrifices and things that they were already doing that there had to be shedding of blood. They understood some of those things, but they had experienced God's redemption. They, they had experienced the way that God had redeemed them through all kinds of different things. They would have known about what happened with Adam and Eve and the conversation that God had with Satan when he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, Satan. You will bruise his heel. A picture of what would happen with Jesus Christ ultimately in conquering sin on our behalf. They would have understood about redemption because of the exodus and what they had seen and God's provision in it and his protecting them and redeeming them. Then I wrote down one more. I wrote down about fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, doing life together. That's what fellowship really is. It's not cake in the foyer. It's, it's about how we do life together. Well, we have fellowship with God as well. Uh, you call it relationship if you want to. And, and God demonstrates that so faithfully to them over and over and over again. Uh, he never gave up on them regardless of how many times they gave up on him. We still come back to the Lord is my shepherd. And, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. And... I am the Lord, your God. And God comes to them in relationship. And I'm so thankful that I have a heavenly father that doesn't bail when I mess up, 
When I sin, when I fall, it's not like he's out the back door with enough of you, enough of you. He will never do that to his children. And he took care of his children and sometimes he had to discipline them and sometimes they had to go through the hard things so they would learn, but, but he was in fellowship with them. God's saying, it's all about me. It's all about me. And we get caught up into the wrong me. We get caught up in the, the, the I wants and the I think and the I haves and the, I mean, if you're honest with yourself and consider your last week, you will think about the times that you climbed up on the throne and pushed God out of the way so that he could, he could not have the rule that he should have and, and you took it back. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm not talking about your relationship. I'm just talking about in the way we treated God last week in the things that I wanted, in the desires that I had, in the passions that were before me, in the... And God wasn't on the throne like he needs to be. And God wasn't on the throne like he commands to be. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, come on. I didn't bow to anything this past week. I got no shrines in my house. I've got no other gods Really? Really? What became more important to you than your relationship with God this week? Because in that moment, it became your God. I'm not going into that this week. You've got to come back next week to hear about that. We're going to take a look at that and what does that look like in our lives. And because this week is about getting the first priority right. It's about getting God on the throne. It's about putting him first and making that our passion and making that our desire. You shall have no other gods before me. So what's the nugget for you? What's the, as I've been going through this message, you're like, would you get off of that? Would you just leave it alone? Because that's what God's saying to you today. You'll have no other gods before me. Well, so what? So what? In each of the uh, Ten Commandments, as we go through them, we're going to take a look at um, three results or, or three words to help us just nail it down as to what this is really about. But So here's the, here's the four words. Here's the four words. The first one is a revelation. Revelation. What is God showing us? And in the first law, he is saying to you, he is saying to me, it's all about me. It's all about me. Now let that weigh on you in the revelation of what God requires and what he desires from us. And then there's the confrontation that comes out of that, the reality of, oh my goodness, it's not about me. It's not about this me. It's about him. And the confrontation that will happen in your heart as you will wrestle that to the ground and understand that he is God. He is the Holy One. He is the one who gives us our next breath. He is the creator. And you'll live in the confrontation of that and coming out of that comes the instruction of what will I do? Well, what will I do with what I've, I've learned today? What will I do? As, as I've considered this message today, as I've heard of what the pastor said, as I considered what your word said, what is the instruction to help me in this. And 
I believe the Lord's laying that in your heart already as to what do I need to do? What do I need to put off? What do I need to set aside? What do I need to put away so that God truly is on the throne? Because the result is the last word and it's the transformation. It's the blessing. It's the result. It's the what God will do in our lives as we get off the throne and put him in the place that he belongs. Yahweh had opened himself to a special relationship with Israel, but that relationship could develop only if Israel committed themselves to Yahweh alone. Yahweh had rescued them and freed them and delivered them and guided them, and and then he had come to them. The next step, if there was to be a next step, belonged to them. If they were to remain in his presence, they were not to have other gods. And what was true for them is true for us today. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Exodus 20. It is chucked, filled with things that are going to challenge us and frustrate us and spur us on. And But Lord, as we take these things and do them, we will be more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. So teach us from your word. Do not allow us to walk easily away from what we have heard today. It's all about me is your statement, Lord. It's your statement. Teach me more, Lord, every day to set aside who I am, to enthrone you in the things I say, but in the way I live when nobody is watching. Father, that the fame would be yours, that the glory would be yours. No other gods, no other gods before you. Help us, God, to walk in this for your glory. In the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.